Welcome to week five of Moose's Mulligans. I'm your host, Alex Streiza. So for next week's show, we're proud to announce that we'll be doing something a little different. For next week's show, we want your opinion firsthand. So text or call your name and what city you're from with your question to 760-814-0740 and you'll have a chance to have your question answered on our show next week. Alright, super excited for that, but let's get to our past mulligan of the week. For our past mulligan, we're going to baseball on June 16th, 1983. So that's Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez? The baseball player? On that date, the Mets made a trade for Keith Hernandez, who was the first baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals at the time. The Mets sent back relief pitchers Neil Allen and Rick Ownbe. Keith Hernandez had hit over 300 for the Cardinals three straight years and looked to be on his way to do it again for four straight years and many argue he was the best defensive first baseman at the time in the league. But with free agency looming for the first baseman in 1983, the Cardinals weren't sure they could sign him back. Now, getting the two relievers back was to help with the two Cardinals starters, Joaquin Andujar and Bob Forsh, who were having subpar seasons for St. Louis that year, and their lack of reliability made the Cardinals want to add to their bullpen, which was rare to do at the time. Yeah, probably. But manager Whitey Herzog also stated in his book, White Rat, A Life in Baseball, that Keith Hernandez was dogging it, wasn't showing 100% effort on the base pass and in batting practice, which led to his trade to New York. Hey, that's a lot of criticism for a guy hitting over 300 and getting about 90 runs batted in a year. I definitely see the Mets as the winners in this deal, as Neil Allen only spent two years in St. Louis with just below a 4 ERA, and Rick Ombe spent two years in St. Louis before going to Kansas City as a free agent and having to retire due to injuries. Meanwhile, the Mets got a first baseman that would consistently hit about 300, get about 90 RBI a year, and would play unbelievable defense at first base. And eventually, in 1986, would lead the Mets to a World Series. Little roller up along first, behind the bag, it gets through Buckner! This, of course, was the famous World Series where poor Bill Buckner missed the ground ball through his legs and had a Cubs batting glove on. His, I don't want to get into it. Just because it was already a tie game when he made the error, the Red Sox had already blown the lead. It's debatable that this was one of the best trades in Mets history as it led to a World Series, but... Also, don't forget that the Mets made a trade to get Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno from the Blue Jays for knuckleballer R.A. Dickey. You gotta be freaking kidding me. With that velocity and that hair, you gotta love Noah Syndergaard. Speaking of top prospects, we're gonna move on to our present mulligan and talk about the MLB draft that just happened this last week. Here to talk about it, we have Mark Berkwood. Alright, we're gonna welcome in Mark now. How you doing, Mark? Good day to you, sir. I'm doing good. How's everybody doing? Oh, we're doing good. So, uh, it's hard to predict in the MLB draft. You know, it takes more years to see how players progress but uh our first question was to ask you uh who do you think were the real winners in this draft winning well alex like you said it's just so hard you know three days after to to really see who the who the winners and the losers are uh so normally you'd have to assume that the that the top three four teams who, who drafted first 
what would end up being the winners, but that's not always the case. Uh, there was a couple picks that I really liked that I'll single out. I liked Mackenzie Gore at three to the Padres. Uh, I like the Astros taking Bukaskis in the middle round. I think he fell. He had a rough, uh, a rough regional. He got he got smashed by Davidson, so I think that dropped his draft stock a little bit. Um, but I think the Astros win there. Uh, I think Royce Lewis was a great pick for the Twins at one. Uh, even though Hunter Green could have gone there, I think Royce Lewis is probably better for their future. I, it's just so hard. You know, so close to the draft to, to really decide who the winners and losers are. I mean, right now we're still trying to figure out who the winners and losers are from a draft in like 2013, you know? Yeah, you know, like in 2008, now Aaron Hicks and Justin Smoke are suddenly a big part of playoff runs. You just never yeah. know when they're going to actually step in. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with Royce Lewis. It also gave them money later in the draft. Uh, definitely yeah. Houston. I think Bukakis has a lot of. Uh, potential there so i agree with you you know it's hard to pass on hunter green but we've seen these 100 mile an hour high schoolers like uh Kolek have arm yeah. issues the second they're yeah. taken absolutely so uh hey. yeah were there any picks to you that really stood out that kind of put them in the losers column hey this guy's a great big phony oh man i didn't really see that many uh I didn't. I didn't really feel like anyone was drafted so high above their their draft stock that, that it really affected anything. Bingo. Uh, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head to be honest with you. I agree with you. I think it was one of the deepest drafts we've seen in a while until yeah, ten years really later, like and then it. we say how bad yeah. it was. <laughs> yeah, it really feels like it, and, and I'm really hoping that these guys uh, really do pan out, especially for these teams that that are that are picking up near the top for what it seems like has been the last decade. Uh, so that we can finally see maybe maybe a change in in, in teams that are making the playoffs, and it, you know you hope to see that they do it uh, like the Cubs did last year, and what seems like the Astros are doing this year, and taking these guys that they've drafted the last four years, and suddenly becoming this this homegrown contender that's contending for world championships every year. Right, and that feeds into my next question for you. Uh, did any of these teams, do you think, draft someone that could be used this year for the playoff race? You know, trade deadline's coming up. Why not just draft a guy yeah. that you could use now, maybe? T- typically, you wouldn't because of the difference between pro ball and college and high school. Uh, we haven't really seen many. I be- As far as I can remember, I think the last person to, to go straight to the majors out of the draft was Mike Lee. And I know being from Fallbrook and he Fall- went to Fallbrook Fall- High School represent over here. Yeah. Fallbrook High alone. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's been the last one that's really kind of skipped that, and I can't think of anybody else before that. It's since like the the seventies and eighties. Yeah, the only um, one to do it in the same year was Brandon Finnegan, but he went to the minors first. He didn't go straight yeah. to it. Yeah, uh, if I had to pick anybody, uh, it would probably be JB Bacasius mm-hmm. because he, according to Keith Law, and, and he's got a eighty grade slider. Uh, it, it, it's All they say. Yeah, they say it is some uh, pitch that can get major leaguers out now. And because he's a two-pitch pitcher and not yet a three-pitch pitcher, uh, maybe they can use him in the bullpen this year uh, to, to help out. And then next year, maybe start him off in double-A AA or triple-A. But, you know, you don't really see it. You're not going to get it from hitters because the pitching's so much more advanced uh, in pro ball, even if you're getting a 22- or 23-year-old senior. Yeah, you know. for those of you who don't know, the scouting grade goes from 20 to 80, and 80 is Hall of Fame style, so to give an 80 is really a high number. 
Yeah, right. just just a comparison. Uh, Carlos Rodon drafted in uh, 2014. Uh, he was given an 80 grade slider, and so that that's kind of the comparison they've been giving. Clayton Kershaw has a has an 80 grade curveball. You know, no Syndergaard's got an 80 grade fastball. So those are just some bases you guys can use to compare. Definitely, I, I definitely think the Astros got one that they might be able to use right away. They'll see how he does first when they when he first uh, checks into camp. But the other yeah. guy was uh, Seth Romero. I saw from Houston. He was yeah. kick, kicked out for his attitude problems, but the Nationals desperately need bullpen. So I mean, it kind of seems like a perfect fit, you know, the kind of Goldilocks effect there. Yeah, they do. But you have to wonder for a guy who gets kicked off his college team, what what the major league life is going to do to him. All that that makeup issue. You know, and so I, I think that I think the Nationals would be hesitant to do that. Honestly, yeah, I'm a I'm a big Bryce Harper fan. You know, you know, do whatever you want as long as you're producing. So I just I would love to see Seth Romero come up and produce and just you know, but it doesn't always happen that way. Me, you and your friend Cujo here got a little attitude. No crap needs to readjust Yeah, I I agree. I mean, just think about how long it's taken. For people to, to be like, oh, this Bryce Harper stuff is okay. And even still, it seems like half half baseball fans are divided on it. And the same goes for Puig. It just seems like Romero's going to fall into that category. And I don't, you know, I think it would be a fall from the graces. Or it wouldn't be a fall from the graces for him. i say we just start a whole team for these guys. Put them all together. You know, Puig yeah, and just, Harper in the just, same outfield together. You know. Yeah, be, be like the... The Mississippi Funds or something like that. They can wear Chris Sale's throwback White Sox jerseys. Yeah, right now. yeah, but they gotta be cut up. You know? <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Mark, for joining the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Alex. Always a pleasure. All right, good stuff. Let's move on to that future mulligan. All right, but let me ask you this question. So we asked you who you thought would be the best contenders against the Patriots this year. And most of you said the Pittsburgh Steelers. Understandable to see with Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Eli Rogers, a defense led by Ryan Shazier. But there's always injury questions with Ben Roethlisberger. You know he's going to miss some games because he does take a lot of hits. But the team I'm really looking at to compete with the New England Patriots is the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers. You've got wide receivers like Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, all still there. Uh, Sleeper and Jeff Janis there too. Still, they have some running back questions like Ty Montgomery and Jamal Williams, how that'll work out this year. But with HaHa, Clinton Dix, they still have Clay Matthews on defense and Mike Daniels. I think that their defense is very improved, and you can see Aaron Rodgers and the Packers being serious contenders this year. We also asked you guys who you thought would be the worst team in the league this year. Most of you think the New York Jets will fit that bill with Josh McCowan at quarterback and Christian Hackenberg not getting the starting job yet, Matt Forte on limited carries for his age, a defense led by Leonard Williams and Muhammad Wilkerson, but maybe not strong enough to carry the whole team. Not to mention that's a really tough division they're in with the Buffalo Bills, Miami Dolphins, and New England Patriots having to play them all twice. Now, in my opinion, the Colts division is maybe a little weaker, but when you look at this team, there is a lot of possibility for them to actually be the worst team this year. Oh, sure. They do have Andrew Luck, but if Andrew Luck goes down, their next quarterback is Scott Tolzien. Their offensive line has always had huge issues. They've got older running back in Frank Gore. His backup is Robert Turbin. And their defense has really struggled. Vontae Davis trying to stay healthy. And the rest of it just seems to be a little lackluster. You know, it hurts me to say it a little bit, but either of these teams in Los Angeles... 
look at the Chargers division. You play the Raiders, the Chiefs, and the Broncos two times each. You don't really get a week off there. And you look at the Rams playing with the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Makes it very difficult. And, you know, their whole quarterback situation with Jared Goff will be interesting to see this year if Todd Gurley can bounce back. When you look at strength of schedule, the Chargers outside of their division will play the Dolphins, the Patriots, the Eagles, at the Giants, at the Cowboys. Except for playing the Browns in Week 13 and the Jets in Week 16, it's a really tough schedule. Holy moly! Then you look at the Jets out of division, they have to play the AFC West... They have to play at New Orleans. They have to play the Falcons. And then for the Colts, they have to play at Seattle, at Cincinnati, against the Steelers, Broncos, and Texans. With no injuries, which we know never happens in the NFL, I would go with the Jets, but the second something happens to Luck or Vontae Davis, I'm looking at these Indianapolis Colts, and I think they're my favorites to be the worst. Oh, you are just the worst type of person. All right, that's all the time we have for this week. I'd like to thank my guest, Mark Berquist. Thank you very much. Make sure to send in your name and your question over a text or a call to 760-814-0740, and you'll have a chance to be answered on the next show. What do you suggest? Ask us any sports question you want. All right, well, thanks for joining us, and until next week, remember... Fairways and greens, no mulligans. Have a good week.